genuine leader is not a searcher for consensus, but a molder of consensus. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said that. When I hear that, I think of an alignment of purpose. A leader doesn't look for an organization to fall in line, so to speak, and to race toward a common goal. A leader helps shape that organization into working toward a common goal. How that translates to our wing is simple. We have multiple mission sets. We all play a part. We execute that mission. We are professionals in our craft. We raise our right hand. We go to our initial training, whether it's boot camp or officer training school. We further our education throughout the years. We excel. But training isn't everything. We need mentors and leaders who have been there, done that, to guide us, to help us, to mold us into the leaders of tomorrow. And the leadership takes all kinds of forms, NCOs, first sergeants, commanders, etc. And in this 42nd episode of the Maniac Radio Show, you'll hear from Colonel Roy, soon to be General Roy, the wing's top leader who, over the last four years, has molded the 101st and guided us through trials and tribulations, ups and downs, thick and thin. And we can't thank him enough for everything he's done for us. If you haven't heard already, Colonel Roy is starting a new chapter, and Colonel Matt Barassa will be taking over for him starting this Saturday as our new wing commander. Colonel Roy will be promoted to Brigadier General, and he's going to be working out of Augusta, and he was generous enough to spare some time and sit with us and talk on the podcast. Here he is. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Colonel, I think this is your first time on the podcast. It, I, as far as I recall, it is my first time on the podcast. So. As, far, as far as you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, and we, we do and we do appreciate that um, you stopping by too, which is awesome. And uh, so so if you, if you don't mind, sir, what's new? Well, I, I wanted to stop by and, and just touch base with everyone with the, the COVID protocols that we're using these days. The last four or five drills have been very different than what we're used to. So all the contact with folks and their families has been limited. And as we go into this coming drill with a change of command, then I step out of command and hand off to Colonel Barassa and Colonel Gillis. Uh, as the command team, it, it feels like I'm missing the chance to say goodbye to some folks that have been very important to me. So just thought we'd try to reach out through this podcast and through Facebook because the ceremony will be limited to change of command due to COVID. Uh, so I won't get to see everyone that we normally see and to say thank you to all of them. Um, in, in the transition period here, it's been a little difficult uh, letting go, but uh, we've got a great team in place. So we've all worked together for a while. And I just wanted to you know, make sure that the enlisted councils understand how important they are to me and what they've done is you know, really important to the wing and the leadership team that uh, is stepping up, they're all ready. You know, we've been working together for four years now, and, uh, putting this to a place where we can continue to support the combatant commanders while we're doing Homeland Defense and we're doing support of the governor, all while in a COVID protective stance and still maintaining you know, the excellence that we expect. So very proud of the wing, honored uh, to have been here for four years, but really feel like I'm, uh, I'm gonna miss the chance to say goodbye and thank you to a lot of people. So I appreciate you having me on. Yes, sir. I need to obviously anytime. So what's interesting you, you say that it's been four years, which is actually hard to believe in itself. I'm sure for you it went by even quicker and probably sometimes even slower. It, it, it gives you time to get to know your wing and get to know the ins and outs. And 
the ups and downs. And you mentioned COVID and we're still deploying people, right? Which is crazy um, uh, during this whole thing. And I mean, what kind of shakeup has that been like? So the, probably the hardest part of that is the folks that are scheduled to return home and the, the expectations of the families and the members on when they'll be complete with their tour of duty. Uh, there's protocols that keep changing and we're constantly watching the guidance for preparation to deploy and the restriction of movement around the, the CENTCOM deployments. Uh, the people going to school have similar challenges and you know it's changing some school dates for our folks, but overall, I think everyone's adjusting. They're, people are being very patient with with the guidance and what's going on and they're just getting the job done as you would expect any maniac to do. I, I can tell you that the maniacs of the past would have never seen this coming, but they'd be very proud of how the unit and the individuals have stood up to what we've had for challenges in the last six to eight months. If you look at some of the folks that are out there working for the governor on the COVID PPE fit test mission, they are in contact with the enemy known as COVID on a regular basis. And they're not from what people would call the tip of the spear in a tanker unit because of our mission set, but they're a very important part of our wing and they're out there on the front lines of COVID working with the people that are in the hospitals and in the nursing homes. Uh, and they're folks from our clinic and, and around the base that are highly skilled in their civilian careers that have come in. So we've really had a chance to showcase what the National Guard can do in its state mission and its federal mission. Uh, there, there now is something you can point to that almost every American would understand on what the role of the National Guard is. And for a long time, that, that's been hard to explain to people. So I think we just go forward from here. Uh, we're going to continue with, with the current battle with COVID, with the current combatant commander support all around the world while we develop and train the next generation of airmen. So it's going to be a cons consistent fight here for the next three or four years. What are our folks doing down like within the hospitals specifically? We have some folks that are in as liaison officers with some of the state agencies. And then we have folks that are actually out doing PPE fit tests. So they're teaching the frontline workers how to wear their N95 masks appropriately to protect themselves uh, and the people around them from transferring the COVID from room to room or patient to patient or getting it themselves. Uh, and in that, they're, they're very close to the situation where they become potentially contaminated or even just quarantined. I've been quarantined twice myself, waiting for folks to get results from tests. And, and it's quite an impact to your life. When you, when you hear about folks that are quarantined that uh, have to change their lifestyle, it, it sounds like it, it might be a challenge. But when you have to tell your friends and your family that, hey, until this other person gets their test results, I need you to stay away. And, and you think twice about, well, I can't really shouldn't go to the grocery store, the gas station until I find out if this other person that I had contact with is, you know, was COVID positive. In both cases, they were COVID negative and it was a three or four day quarantine but it, it makes it real for you. So the folks that are in the hot spots, our brothers and sisters across the nation in the National Guard, uh, they've got a, a bigger task than we do currently. 
But there's nothing saying that we're not a week away from the same problem as COVID spreads. So we need to keep our keep our vigilance and keep doing what we're doing and just be glad that in the state of Maine, it's controllable. How does that make you feel as, a, as the wing commander, knowing you have folks doing those remarkable things and you have people overseas in the desert still doing the stuff that we've been doing for years and we have the, home, the homestead here at the wing? How does that make you feel? Well, proud, you know, to know that the folks are ready to go do that and that they're willing to step up and that we're all on the same team. Uh, it pr makes me feel proud. There's times when you worry uh, about the folks that are out there. You know they're good at their job, but they're in harm's way. You worry about their families, their kids, you know, how that all impacts them. Um, but overall, proud. I've always wondered this about not just with you, but any, any of the colonels out here, but like, I know that I, if I went to bed knowing everything was going on, like yeah. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be like on full anxiety mode. But with the people that you have working with you and for you, like your chiefs and your colonels, and like you must know, like you know that they have that under control, right? And so I would imagine that's a good feeling. So the, the way that I deal with that, and everybody deals with it differently, is that you have to have a team in place that you trust, and you have to know that they're handling the issues that they can handle and that they're going to know when it's time to let you know what's going on. Um, everything that happens with everyone in the wing affects you, right? If you really do this job the way I think you need to do it, you care about everybody, you care about their family. So when someone's in the hospital, whether it's for a, you know, a chronic illness or a, a motorcycle accident, or someone's deployed and their spouse is at home with a broken washing machine or the snowblower doesn't work, you think about it, you worry about it. How you process that is important because if it paralyzes you, then you're no good to anyone. You can't help those families. You can't help the people that are in the hospital. Uh, and sometimes it's just a text message reminding them that they have 895 brothers and sisters out here that all are waiting to help, that are highly skilled and good at what they do. Um, sometimes it's a little more than that, but um, it, it's more about the people in the NCO roles, taking care of their folks, knowing their jobs. They're the ones that make the difference and making sure people are trained and that that's how people don't get hurt. When they're really good at their job, it limits the risk and then they we, we have a much better success rate without the injuries. I kind of figured that you that was that was going to be your answer. And I, and I sat back and I'm thinking, I, I think that's how he does it. Like, I think he just kind of because I feel like like what you said, if you start stressing out and panicking, then then it's all it's all going to unfold. Right. Yeah. You have to you have to find that balance. I mean, I, I care and things bother me, but you can't let it paralyze you. Um, and if you don't move on, you have to forgive. Right. There's things that happen where you have to look at it. You have to forgive. You have to go, OK, that was a mistake. We all make mistakes. And you have to move forward. You have to move through them uh, for the interest, best interest of the wing and yourself. Um, but right now we have a phenomenal team. When you look at what Chief Osgood uh, inherited from Chief Moore and what they've done with the junior enlisted, senior enlisted council, the chief's council, the, the depth of which we have the ability to reach and find out what the problems are and fix things uh, that are you know, making our airmen feel like they can do their job better. They have better equipment. They're ready to do their job, uh, let alone the morale side of what the Junior Enlisted Council has done. It's just phenomenal. Uh, and those are the people that are going to be the chiefs in 
the next generation. So, and you see that, and like it's it's interesting talking because we've had the junior list accounts on the podcast a few times, but talking to April and like Monica and and and, um, and Galen Gaffney and those guys, like they they say they they've constantly got people asking them, hey, are there any openings? Which is like a credit to what they're doing, right? No, the word's out uh, that it's a good, a really good group to be part of. It, it's very insightful. Uh, we've given them a lot of a lot of leeway to do things that are good for good for the wing and good for the generations to come. Uh, what you'll find is things in the past, they were down to three members. Uh, and then to see where we are today and just know that as people are promoted, they have to come off that council, but they just go on to the next council and they just go on to the next. So we have some super airmen. We're set in, uh, we're set in a, a rich history. You know, Nick Aramita wrote me a note uh, when I took this job. It was underneath the glass on my desk until I cleaned my desk off the other day. Really? Yep. I looked at it every day when I came in and it said, you can do this. Have fun. That's cool. And so uh, I always tell Nick, I said, I, your wing is in good shape. Your wing is ready to do its job. And he's probably happy knowing just like all the other wing commanders that came after him, know, knowing that like you're, they're leaving it in good hands, kind of like the junior enlisted council. So I, I'm an E6, I get promoted to E7. I don't want to leave the junior enlisted council, but I have to. But that's part of it. And you know that they're, you know, you're setting the next group up for success. Right, right. No, it's good. Well, thanks for having me. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. It's good to talk with you. We appreciate everything you've done for us. And I think I speak for everybody when I say that um, thank you for being our wing commander and taking care of us. You're welcome. Thanks again, Colonel, for coming in and letting me talk your ear off. And congratulations on your new promotion. So with Colonel Barassa taking the helm as our new wing commander, Colonel Ian Gillis, who is currently our maintenance group commander, will be the new vice wing commander. And Lieutenant Colonel Batchelder will move in as the maintenance commander. Congratulations to everyone. We look forward to your leadership. While we're on the topic of leadership, let's jump into our maniac fact. Major General Jay Benton is a strong part of our maniac heritage. If you don't know who he is or what he accomplished, buckle up because you're about to. The general was born 97 years ago in 1923, graduated from UMO in 1950, and enlisted into the Army Air Corps in 1943 as an aviation cadet. He commissioned his second lieutenant when he graduated from flight training school in 1944. And as you could probably guess, he was a fighter pilot during World War II, flying his P-47 through 17 missions. He joined the main air guard in 1947 and deployed during the Korean conflict under the Air Defense Command. He became the 132nd Fighter Interceptor Commander in 1952, a suitable role for someone who has more than 6,000 flight hours during his time to include his missions in World War II. When he was promoted to colonel in 1960, he was appointed as the commander of the 101st Fighter Group, then the wing commander in 1975. When the 101st Air Fueling Wing became federally recognized in 1976, General Benton was its first commander. So he was the first wing commander for the Air Fueling Wing we all know today. It's pretty cool. In 1979, he became the Air National Guard's Special Assistant to the Commander-in-Chief Strategic Air Command. And by the time he retired, he had 40 years of service to our country, had served during three major wars, and had piloted 10 different aircraft, including the KC-135. Pretty remarkable. He played a big part in our history. He molded his wing into a force to be reckoned with, setting the standard for years to come.
that's all I have for this episode. Have a great drill. Check us out on Facebook, the app, the Instagram. Remember to wear a mask when necessary. Stay frosty. Stay safe. Stay six feet apart. So long. <laughs>